0: The Winter Olympics may come about every four years, but for many athletes, it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to compete among the best in the world. More than a dozen Alaskans and athletes with Alaska ties are in China for this year's Games, which started last week and continue for the next two weeks. What are their chances of bringing home medals? And more importantly, what does it mean for young Alaskans with Olympic dreams? We're discussing Alaska's Winter Olympians today on Talk of Alaska.
1: Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station.
2: The Alaska Travel Industry Association provides leadership and guidance to Alaska's tourism businesses for how to operate safely across the state. Members can access updated industry resources related to COVID-19 at alaskatia.org. This message sponsored by ATIA. With Omicron spreading fast, many Alaskans will test positive for COVID-19. If this happens to you, what should you do? Head home and isolate as best as you can away from others. Let your close contacts know they may have been exposed so they can quarantine. Get plenty of rest and stay hydrated. Call your doctor. Treatments may be available, especially if you are at high risk for severe illness. If your symptoms worsen, seek medical help. This message sponsored by the Department of Health and Social Services.
1: The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. You're listening
0: to Talk of Alaska, I'm Adeline Baxter. Curling, figure skating, ice hockey, and, of course, cross-country skiing. These are the events homegrown Alaskans are competing in this year in China. Other athletes who train or previously lived in Alaska are also there. In addition to performing at the top of their game in the months leading up to the Games, they also had to satisfy strict COVID-19 health protocols to make it there. Joining me today to discuss Alaska's Olympic prospects and the way winter sports have shaped our state, are Leland Rich, a member of the Fairbanks Curling Club since 1970 and a past president of the U.S. Curling Association. We also have Reese Hanneman, a 2018 Olympic cross-country skier from Fairbanks, and former Olympic cross-country skier and coach Holly Brooks. Thanks for being here, all of you. Thanks for
3: having me. Excited to talk. Yeah.
0: You can also join the conversation. What events are you most excited about? Is there an event or athlete from Alaska or not that you think people should be paying attention to? You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-478-8255 statewide. That's 1-800-478-8255. The local number is 907-550-8422. Or you can email talk at alaskapublic.org. All right. Well, Holly, it was a historic night for cross-country skiing. I'm embarrassed to say I slept through it, but thank God we have you here to uh, to tell us about it. Um, and this was in the women's individual sprint. So we actually have a little bit of audio that we want to play from the end of the race. So here's that. Around
4: the final turn, surging towards the gold medal in the women's sprint. Jessie Diggins, Rosie Brennan, still in the mix for a medal here in Beijing. The women's sprint final coming down to the final strides. Jesse Diggins coming up and winning the first ever sprint medal in cross country at the Olympic Games. More Olympic magic for Team USA and Jesse Diggins, who gets the bronze in Beijing tonight.
0: Oh, man. I'm really glad we had that audio. That was great to hear. And and such a throwback to uh, 2018, right? To, uh, to South Korea. Um, so yeah. Holly, tell us what, what do you feel after that?
3: Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I watched it live, but just hearing that again, it gave me goosebumps. I feel tears like, you know, welling up and, um, you know, my, my heart rate, I think just spiked like, forty feet per minute. <laughs> um, you know, it's just a really, really, really special time. And, um, Yeah, I can't imagine trying to maintain composure making that call in the booth. So I I wonder what Keegan was doing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. As uh, people who have been following the Olympics coverage know that uh, former Olympian Keegan Randall is uh, commentating for cross-country skiing for NBC. So you can catch her doing some live commentating and taped as well um well the let's see jesse diggins's bronze is only the second individual medal for an american in cross-country skiing at the olympics so she won gold in the team sprint with keegan at the last olympics so how huge is this for the sport and for america's program
3: it's huge you know the first medal was a long time ago in the in the 70s uh bill Koch, and then we just had kind of like uh, know uh, a drought (laughs) for for such a long time um and then obviously four years ago was a watershed moment for for our sport and i think it really planted the seed in the national team skiers but just in uh the skiers all over the all over north america really um it planted the seed of belief that we're competitors you know it's not a mistake uh and and we're really medal contenders and you know Jessie had a lot of pressure on her shoulders coming into these games she you know received a lot of media attention and brought our sport to the forefront and i'm just so happy she was able to deliver and i can't imagine um the the, the release of pressure you know she mm-hmm. she must be feeling cuz now she's she's coming home with a medal and i feel like she can just kind of not relax but almost um and, and just kind of ski to, to her best in, in the rest of the races coming up. And, you know, I can't talk about Jessie without giving a huge shout-out to our teammate and fellow Alaskan APU Nordic ski member Rosie Brennan. You know, she was second in the qualifier and fourth in the final, and, you know, it, it's an amazing, amazing result. At the same time, it's really hard to be the first one, Uh, off the podium and so she skied like a boss Um, she looks so strong and I cannot wait to watch and cheer for Rosie um, you know in the upcoming races
0: absolutely and yeah do you happen to know um, what other events she's going to be competing in or is that not totally decided yet?
3: well you know Rosie uh, is is you know, at the, at the top of her game. And so she, I think really gets any start that she wants, (laughs) you know, she's, she's earned that. And I'm really crossing my fingers that we see a uh, Rosie and Jesse team for the classics team sprint coming up uh, here, here in a little bit because they're, they, they show that they're both, uh, you know, fierce and totally fit. And I'm just over the moon excited to, to see them, um, hopefully team, team up for that event.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Well, and just
0: overall for all of team USA, what kind, how does this help, you know, build confidence for the other members, uh, you know, continuing through the next two weeks?
3: I mean, I just, I think it, it shows people what's possible. And there's this quote um, that stuck out to me. There was a, a great article on Jesse in the New York Times maybe a week ago or something. And actually, Scott Patterson, who uh, mm-hmm. is a name that Alaskans should know, he was quoted at the end of the article, and he was kind of referencing younger skiers in our country. And he just said they, you know, from now on, they are going to believe from the beginning. Right. And um, that quote just kind of gives me goosebumps, too. Right. Because mm-hmm. young kids are, are getting to watch this and belief and confidence is contagious.
0: Absolutely, and, and we're seeing that playing out. Well, and Reese, as a 2018 Olympian, what's your reaction? And just to see the U.S. team continue to succeed—to
5: see like two two women in the final—I um, think is just a, you know that's the final, the A final is is the the best six at the end of the sprint day, and that's that's for all the marvels. So to see two two individual you know U.S. athletes in there. Um, is just, yeah, is it's amazing. And, uh, to, you know, I mean, I know how hard those courses are. Um, I've been talking to some of the athletes and, and the conditions are really tough. It's been really cold. The snow is really weird and slow. And, um, you know, I think it just shows, um, you know, it, to, to have two women in the top six in the world and, and to go third and fourth is, um, you know, I mean, we, it proves we've definitely arrived, um, you know, and not just, not just one person, you know, it has arrived, but, um, and then, you know, some of the, I mean, Julia was, you know, in the teens, which is a really solid result too. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool to see. And I think that, I think that honestly, I mean, there's a lot of events left. I think that it really is going to light a fire for the rest of the team and, and those same athletes for the rest of the events, because, uh, now they know, you know. I mean, this the the skis are running well. It looks like um, they have to be, you know, to get those kind of results. So um, that's going to build confidence for everybody too.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. And I know, I think uh, Reese, you've skied in China in past championships. Uh, so we'll talk more about that later. Just the experience of sort of knowing what those conditions are like, and and also the experience of being a former Olympian. But uh, first, I, I want to remind people you're listening to Talk of Alaska. This is Adeline Baxter, and today we're talking about alaska's winter olympians we've got a lot of folks to be proud of and uh, we want to hear from you if you've got someone you want to shout out or someone you think is under the radar even not an alaskan uh, give us a call 1-800-478-8255 statewide local number 550-8422 or you can email talk at alaskapublic.org uh leland let's turn to curling because that's it's also been a very exciting for alaskans curling So tell us about the history first off about the Fairbanks Curling Club because there's a lot of history there and it's Alaska's oldest, right?
4: Yeah, they started curling in in Fairbanks in 1905. The uh, Canadian gold miners uh, coming over to Fairbanks to gold mine started curling on the river downtown and on the river downtown um, in the main part of town. There, they built a curling club a few years dedicated to. facility a few years after that. And then our current club they built in 1962, uh, which has been a boon for all the current members because all the old-timers gave us a club that that's great and uh, no debt and it's easy to maintain. Uh, curling's growing and doing really well.
0: Right. And uh, Vicki Persinger is on the U.S. curling team and was competing up until a few nights ago. And represents the Fairbanks Curling Club. She's been curling there since she was a kid, I think. Right,
4: Leland? Uh, Vicky's probably been curling uh, since she was like four years old, going down with her parents and and playing and goofing around. Um, She's been competing on the national level for probably 15 years now, and she's not that old. (laughs) Um, So uh, we also have uh, Colin Huffman, who's from Fairbanks, that's curling with the men's team that'll start tomorrow night.
0: Mm, that's uh, right. He's
4: the, he's, the, he's the fifth player, the alternate, but he will play this week.
0: And so and, for just for the folks who, you know, are at home and maybe just have a very basic understand of cur- understanding of what curling is, can you really briefly sort of describe, you know, what sort of goes into a curling
4: match? Um, so the game's played on a, a sheet of ice that's uh, 15 feet wide and 150 feet long. The idea is to slide a 42 pound piece of granite from one end to the other. Uh, there's four people on a team, um, one person throwing the rock, two people sweeping and one person that acts as like a quarterback on the far end directing traffic and calling shots. The precision required to throw that rock 100, just over a hundred feet, um, the Canadian mixed doubles team, uh, night before last, missed out getting to the medal round by less than eighth of an inch on their final shot.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So uh, the precision's incredible, and in the strategy where to place rocks. And But yet at the same time, uh, you can have a lot of fun even if you're not very good.
0: Right. Yeah, that's what I've heard from uh, friends up in Fairbanks. And uh, I know Anchorage has a curling club here as well, and I know people... Even tried to do it down in Juneau, but with, you know, mixed success. So, um, And it sounds like uh, Vicky had some very close calls in her competition. Unfortunately, uh, she was knocked out, um, she and her partner, on, I believe, Sunday. So she won't be bringing home a medal, but I'm sure everyone in Fairbanks is just so proud of her and the fact that she made it there a longtime dream for herself. So how does it feel to see one of your club's own members on the international stage?
4: Uh, it's pretty cool uh, seeing Vicky on on TV in Beijing, um, winning games, doing well, uh, representing the U.S. Uh, as well as she did. It was a lot of fun, and it's really rejuvenated rejuvenated the people in Fairbanks. You know, people are. I got up uh, three nights in a row to watch her play at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Anybody that knows me knows that's pretty amazing.
0: Um, well, and I, it sounded like the club itself was screening some of the matches. Although I know with the time difference, maybe they were tape delayed. But what was the uh, the atmosphere like at the club for those?
4: A lot of screaming and yelling and um, cheering them on, even though they couldn't hear us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know I should mention I, you told me that a former Olympic curler and U.S. curling U.S. Curling Association staff member Jessica Schultz from Anchorage is also there um, uh, representing the curling association. So sort of in a, in a staff, uh, capacity. So there's, you know, quite a curling legacy at this point for Alaska, but it's, you know, uh, we have a small but mighty club in Fairbanks and, uh, other places and who are sort of the big players when it comes to international curling? Uh,
4: so the United, just didn't. uh, explain a little bit the united states has thirty-five thousand curlers nationally wow. we have second number of curlers in the in the world canada has just over a million curlers so obviously canada's the big dogs in the curling world um but sweden um sweden it, oddly enough italy's not that strong but they did so well in mixed doubles uh Norway, um, Germany, um, Japan, and, and China actually do well at times too. So it's the competition's getting a lot better, and there are now 56 countries in the world that curl, including two in Africa. Wow! So, yeah, no kidding. Uh, most of the uh, most of the Africans uh, live in Canada and curl there, but sure, uh, it, it's still since curling became part of the Olympics, has uh, grown considerably and is still growing.
0: Yeah, a lot of growth in that sport. And it's cool because it sounds like it's something that, you know, can be, obviously you can take it to the highest level, but also it's great for families, things that people of all ages can play together. And, uh, and mixed teams, right? Like Vicky and her partner, the, the teams are, their games are not necessarily split up by sex.
4: Uh, it's normal teams in our club are mixed teams. Um, it, it can be four of one sex or it can be one and three or two and two. It's just all over the place. Um, and the, the family aspect is really cool that you can, you can play with your grandkids in the same game. My father-in-law played until he was 92 years old. And we have people playing in we have kids playing in leagues that are 10 and 12 years old.
0: Well, I hear that the Anchorage Curling Club has a spring learn clinic or something that a friend told me I have to check out so I'm definitely going to be looking into that because this year got me into curling hopefully we'll see Um, well (laughs) I want to talk about uh, the preparations that go into uh, you know athletes getting to the Olympics but first I want to read an email from Richard he points out that Alina Mills playing for the Czech women's hockey team has ties to Alaska she he says her husband is from Huna and she spent time with him and his family in Huna down in Southeast. So that's cool. Rooting for Alina Mills. Um, so, Holly, you competed in the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver and in 2014 in Russia. What can you tell us about the preparations that go into qualifying for and competing in the games? I'm sure you could fill up the whole hour, but, you know, what is sort of mm-hmm. your biggest takeaway there?
3: Well, I mean, you know, the Olympics are the time when... Everyone kind of turns their attention to cross-country skiing that isn't like a normal fan. Mm. Um, but I think what people probably realize about every Olympic athlete is that it's 10 years in the making, right? Or it's uh, it's usually kind of like a, a lifetime of, of work to get there. Cross-country skiers specifically uh, train year-round, uh, fifty of traditionally 50 of 52 weeks a year, um, you know, some upwards of a thousand hours uh, a year, and you know it's it's a lot of work. It's it's a lot of sacrifice. Um, you know, cross country skiing is a beautiful sport, and then it is you know your entire body, and it's a mixture of strength and endurance and speed, and so you know there's a lot of Um, ski-specific training, but also it's kind of, I think, great that we don't necessarily have snow year-round, so we get to do a lot of cross-training as well. And here in Alaska, we generally see Nordic skiers doing really well in mountain races or bike races or, you know, whatever they decide to jump into because the level of fitness required um, is, is so high.
0: Absolutely and I know you yourself are a Mount Marathon competitor and we've got several of the most recent winners are on the APU Nordic team I think or at least people who were in the uh, the final uh, podium you know um, Well Reese, what about you you competed in South Korea in 2018 so on the US men's team
5: Yeah what it takes I mean at any sport, If you're competing at the Olympic level, um, you know, the way that these sports are now, the level is so high in anything that to get to that level, it, it is really a full time lifestyle. Um, you know, you can call it professional, um, as you try to raise money to support yourself. Um, but it is, you know, there's no more just kind of like being talented and showing up and, and kind of trying to dial it in a couple months out or, you know, six months out from the Olympics. I mean, it, you know, cross country skiing in particular, it takes, you know, I mean, I I probably trained seriously for 15 years before I made that team. Um, and I missed the team by one spot in 2014. And um that would that that was a point in my career where I had to decide, you know, was it did I want to continue? Is it worth the sacrifice and the, the crazy amount of hard work and the the lack of social life and all these other things that you give up to, to, to pursue that dream. And, um, you know, for sports like curling and like cross-country skiing, um, and quite a few others that are in the games, you know, the, the Olympics are such a highlight. So there's a really a four year kind of cycle to this thing. So, you know, it, it, it can really the olympics can can drive you and they can sustain you for those four years but it's also really tough um because you're so focused on kind of this one event and all that it takes and so there's there's goods and and bads to that system but that's kind of how how it is right now in the US with a lot of the sports that are not like major sports you know mm-hmm. like uh you know hockey per se or something like that so sure.
0: Well, and have you, um, you know, some of the people competing this year are your former teammates. Have you been in touch with some of the skiers competing and heard what they're saying about this year's competition? And
5: I have. Yeah, I've been chatting with a few of them. And, uh, you know, having been there myself four years ago, I mean, in Korea, you know, I know kind of what the what the Olympic competition. Um, the event itself as a whole is like you know it's a crazy crazy production i mean the amount of transportation and media and security and now obviously um you know ppe and all that stuff uh is is insane it's hard to fathom unless you're there in person so um yeah i've been i've been kind of messaging with some of those those guys and girls and uh you know how, how how long is the bus ride from the village to the to the venue because i remember i mean in korea it, it took an hour and the buses felt like a million degrees you get there you're so hot and you're exhausted before you even got on the track you know so it's like there's all these things that go into being at the olympics trying to compete trying to do your best and it's it's uh there's a lot of wrenches that get thrown in the spokes there so um yeah the, it sounds like it's pretty it's Sounds like it's pretty dialed. I know that the weather um, was was pretty intense the first week there for the skiers outside. Uh, really cold. I've competed in China myself. I know that's, that air is really, really dry. Um, obviously, we know it's probably pretty polluted as well, but um, hopefully they've toned that down for, the, for these couple weeks here. But uh, yeah, the air is really dry. The snow is really dry and really slow. Um, we saw those reports from the first week here in Beijing of, uh, you know, driving winds and drifting snow in the tracks. And so it's not it's not the pleasant, sunny and 28 degree skiing that we all dream about.
0: hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. never is. But well, and you you sort of started to mention this, but um, obviously the pandemic has added a whole new layer of difficulty to this year's games. Um, Anchorage resident Keegan Messing, who skates for Canada, almost didn't make it because of a positive test result he got before the game started. So he's since tested negative several times and finally arrived in Beijing in time for his first competition. And I I believe last night he placed ninth in the men's short program. So that means he can move on to the free program. Um, But Holly, what are you hearing about the ways that COVID is uh, impacting competition for athletes this year, just, you know, in the lead up and now that they're all there?
3: I mean, I just I can't even fathom the stress that that they must be under. You know, I know how much stress I think all of us here are under, you know, just to keep our kids in school and um, and, you know, trying to uh, get to work every day. And, you know, when you're essentially your your career depends on this one time frame, this one performance in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, people are testing positive when they're completely asymptomatic. Um, or, you know, I heard of one Swedish skier who had six negative PCRs and then got to China and tested positive. Um, just the, the stress and the anticipatory anxiety that that brings, um, you know, is just, I think, insanely taxing and incredibly stressful. And, you know, we've already seen the cross-country field diluted a bit with some of the major stars Um, Simon Kruger who is the defending Olympic champion from Norway in the 30k skiathlon um, tested positive and was not able to defend his title and so that is just tragic if you think about (laughs) training your entire life for you know kind of this one period of time and and you come up uh, testing positive I, I can't even imagine um, so I think they're under, you know, an undue amount of stress. And luckily, the cross-country team from the U.S. has been able to keep healthy so far. My fingers are crossed, but, you know, they're really making a lot of sacrifices Um You know, not seeing friends and family members and, you know, kind of living like monks, just trying to to isolate, wearing masks all the time. Um, I think some of us have seen pictures from the cafeterias where you essentially eat in, you know, a cube of plexiglass, just trying to, you know, kind of of keep your... um, you know, your respiration, you know, away from other people. So I just can't imagine the stress that that they're under and, um, you know, just testing every day, uh, you know, just crossing your fingers, like, please, please stay healthy. Um, So, you know, I think it's a feat just to get to the start line um, let alone the finish line.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's just like impossible to imagine all the preparation and all the anticipation and then, you know, having, all of that thrown out by a positive test result, but um, I was so relieved to see that Keegan Messing made it there, and you know, with only I think a, less than a day to prepare, he turned out a great program, and he's advancing on. But uh, Leland, what about uh, v- for Vicky and Colin? Do you know what kind of uh, protocols they were having to adhere to? I know you said Vicky wasn't able to stop by the club much in sort of the time leading up to the Olympics.
4: So Vicki kind of uh, hung out in Fairbanks uh, from the holidays until she left to go to China towards the end of January. She quarantined at home with her dog, basically. She forgave the holiday parties with her family, which is pretty big. Um, and she and the dog hung out at home, stayed away from everybody. She'd go into the club at, uh, at 11 o'clock at night when no one else is around and practice and throw rocks and work out. Um, but you know her life was to stay healthy and get through the covid stuff for uh, for almost a month before she left to go to china absolutely um, she ha- she had four covid tests before she took off and then every day since
0: yeah i'm sure and yeah the the images that are being shared of you know it's it's a sad thing to think about these stadiums that have almost no people in them cheering and you know, uh-huh. that camaraderie that athletes talk about in the Olympic Village, you know, probably isn't happening so much, but, you know, it's the, the price that you have to pay to keep people safe during a pandemic and during the biggest international sports event in the world. Um, but, but Reese, I mean, just briefly, we'll, we'll take a break in a minute here, but can you just talk a little bit about, you know, what it must be like to sort of miss out on some of that, the cheering aspect, the, the fans, what, what do they play into racing?
5: yeah that's what you dream about you know when you dream about the olympics as a as a kid um getting there and you know having the the fanfare and the crowd noise and um you know for me finishing my race and looking up and being able to see my family there my wife and you know and your friends like a bunch of family that traveled from all over the world to come watch um you know i mean that's what made it so special and um yeah to have to have none of that to just be racing in a silent empty stadium that's a vacuum i mean I, a lot of the athletes are used to that at this point um through the last you know year or two but uh yeah that would be it would definitely change the in-person experience of the olympics i mean we're watching it on tv and for us a lot of it's just the same watching on tv but um as an athlete there uh there's just a lot of people that are missing out including those fi- those friends and family and fans that are missing out um, on the Olympics experience in person, so it would be it would be tough.
0: Absolutely. Well, hopefully they can hear us cheering them on from home, and that's part of why we're having this show because we want them to know we support them. But uh, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more with Leland Rich from the Fairbanks Curling Club and former Olympians Reese Hanneman and Holly Brooks. And we want to hear from you too. What winter sports would you like to see more Alaskans participating in? Call us and share your thoughts. The statewide number is one eight hundred. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, and you can email us, talk at alaskapublic.org.
1: Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station.
2: Alaska's unique approach to mental health funding is improving the lives of Alaskans who experience behavioral health conditions and developmental disabilities. The Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority has a responsibility to generate revenue from its one million acres of land and the resources they contain. The trust uses this revenue to help fund statewide programs and initiatives that positively impact trust beneficiaries. To learn more, visit alaskamentalhealthtrust.org. This message sponsored by the Alaska Mental Health Trust.
0: Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter. And today, we're talking about Alaska's Winter Olympians. With me are Leland Rich from the Fairbanks Curling Club and former Olympic cross-country skiers, Reese Hahnemann and Holly Brooks. So in this part of the show, I want to talk about opportunities for young athletes uh, and aspiring athletes who are watching these games from here in Alaska and wondering if they could be there one day too. So Holly, as a coach, what do you tell young skiers that want to make it to the top?
3: Well, I will just say I was actually a coach for the APU Nordic Ski Center back in the day. I, I'm no longer coaching at, at this moment, mm-hmm. but I do work with a lot of athletes. I have a private practice, and I'm a therapist that specializes in, in working with athletes today. Um, so that's my, my way to keep one foot in in the sport world. Um, but I think, you know, people, people are just seeing um, – people that they know doing amazing things. And, you know, I said earlier in the show that confidence and belief is contagious, and it's this idea that, hey, if she can do it, maybe I can too, right? And so Anchorage is um, really lucky to have had um, the exposure to and and to be the home base for for Keegan Randall. You know, she really, really paved the way um, for, you know what we saw last night and you know the momentum that that we see in cross country skiing in in the US and so you know I think it's just really cool you know she recently moved back to Anchorage and you know is leading the local Nordic ski club here and you know now she's the the commentator um, for for the races and so you know I think that people really get this huge sense of belief when they can kind of reach out and touch something or someone, right? They think he can Randall on the same ski trails that, that they ski on. And all of a sudden it just demystifies the experience. And I think that for the longest time, we really had this huge sense of imposter syndrome in our sport. We were always kind of bowing down to the Norwegians or, you know, essentially anyone who is Scandinavian. <laughs> and, you know, now, now I think uh, there's this belief that, If she can do it, if he can do it, maybe I can too. And so it's just really, really cool. And, uh, you know, I definitely work on confidence, um, you know, with lots of the athletes that, that I work with today. Um, from a a mental and emotional capacity. So it's really, really cool to be able to refer to, you know, what Rosie or Hannah or Jesse or Keegan or Gus or Scott, you know, or Luke are doing right now. So it's really cool.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. You're so right. Uh, Seeing really is believing. And hopefully that's true for all of the young swimmers in Alaska, watching Lydia Jacoby become our first uh, summer swimming Olympic medal um, or gold medal. Um, well, and you mentioned the APU Nordic, Nordic Ski Center, which uh, you've coached for, and you are prod- you and Reese both, I think, are products of, and maybe about half of this year's U.S. team. What is it about that program that, you know, makes it such a success at this point? <laughs>
3: um, well, you know, APU, we, we talk about how we're an Olympic development program, and, you know, I think the, the model of the program is an incredible one. You know, we have a large community program, so athletes can start with us as young as nine and ten years old, and then, um, you know, they can actually receive an education through Alaska Pacific University. You know, many of our athletes are graduates and even uh, attend graduate school at at APU, so so that's really cool, and then we have master-level athletes as well, Um, you know, skiers who are in their 80s skiing. And and so it's just this program um, that really covers the lifespan of, of the athlete. And, you know, I have to give huge kudos and a shout out to our program director and head elite team coach, Eric Flora, who has really dedicated his life um, to the APU Nordic Ski Program and has just brought about this level of professionalism that, that is world-class. And, you know, he has always believed in us. And, and again, you know, that belief is contagious and, and trickles down. So, you know, APU uh, qualified lots of members to, to the team. And, you know, I think um, you just see that, that belief Uh, kind of trickle down. Right. So, you know, we have the elite team and then we have uh, team members who are a little bit younger and all those younger athletes get exposure to our older athletes. And so it really is, uh, you know, a community based Olympic development program that covers the lifespan of the athlete. And, you know, we're, of course, into producing Um, you know, athletes who can qualify for the Olympic Games and be medal contenders. But, you know, the other thing that's really important is just this idea of creating lifelong skiers. And, you know, I think Anchorage is really lucky and Alaska in general is really lucky to have a diverse group of people who are so passionate about the sport. The community is amazing. And, you know, I think once you're a Nordic skier, you always have some of that in in your blood um so it's uh it's a really special group to be a part of and honestly that's what drew me to alaska in the first place
0: mm-hmm. absolutely and yeah when you we were talking early, earlier about how curling uh is something for all ages and uh, i can definitely testify that based on the people passing me on the ski trails here in anchorage it's definitely an all-ages sport as well uh but reese how did you get started with skiing
5: I grew up in Fairbanks and uh, there's a really amazing ski club in Fairbanks that's been around for quite a while and they, they, they put on, you know, awesome races and great grooming and awesome trails. And, um, as a kid, you know, it can be really cold up there. So you've got to find something to do to stay warm and, uh, you can only do so much sledding. So, um, we did a lot of, we did a lot of skiing. I mean, it was kind of a family thing. Uh, My parents took my brother and I out and, um, you know, if there's a great school program. That's what's really cool in Alaska here is skiing um, is a big part of schools. So elementary school, junior, junior high, and, you know, we have a, a really robust high school skiing program, um, which I think is great. And, and, you know, now I look forward, I have a young daughter, a 10-month-old daughter myself, and I think about what I want would want her to participate in and the things that I think would be healthy for her and the people that, you know, she would get to meet and the things that she would get to learn from sport. And, um, you know, I, I can see why cross country skiing is pretty popular. Um, obviously here, you know, in Alaska, we have great trails and we have a lot of winter. And, um, so I think it's, uh, You know, we get to, these kids now get to see the the competitive side. Obviously we get to see people from our communities competing at the top of the sport at the Olympics. Um, And there's also that social element because I think that's really important for kids. Um, We know kids love to have fun and that's a big reason why they do anything. And so um, there is enough critical mass, I think here in Alaska, you know, in Fairbanks and Anchorage and and some other communities where uh, going skiing with your friends is a real thing. So I think that's uh, a big, I think that's also a big part of the recipe for success up here in Alaska.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Leland, how about you? You, I think you told me before the show that the league in Fairbanks has curlers from around 10 years old to folks in their 90s. So how do you go about training the next generation of Vicki Persingers and Colin Huffmans?
4: Um, so we have a pretty strong junior program. The, uh, the kids play in leagues and also with themselves on the weekends. Uh, We we have a group of really strong coaches in Fairbanks that have uh, coached teams at junior level for a long time. Uh, We have a a girl right now, Anna O'Hara, who is from Fairbanks, but she's living in Minnesota right now to train. And she's on the national junior women's team and they'll be going to Europe in uh, May uh, to compete at the World Championships. And she's on a team that'll be playing in the junior nationals in April for next year. So the program's still going on. We've got uh, a group of boys that are going to the junior nationals in April. Um, We've got uh, a strong group of kids uh, playing on Saturdays that are getting better all the time and getting some really good coaching. Uh, Anchorage's uh, got a junior program that's getting better all the time. Um, There's some... um, there's, it's a strong program that, that's looking good, and I hope we're going to have more Vickies and Collins um, in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Alaska obviously has a lot of advantages for winter sports, but, you know, there's also disadvantages. We're pretty far away from a lot of the places where uh, people meet up to compete. Leland, what are some of the challenges for curlers wanting to compete at the top level like Vicky? Uh,
4: the big problem is exactly what you just mentioned. You know, it's a A team sport. So you have to have uh, four players that are as dedicated as you are. And when you have a smaller population to choose from, that's a lot harder to find the four. And you also have to play against competition. You know, if you can play against competition that's better than you are, you get better all the time. Um, And there's most of the really good competitions in the Midwest and the U.S. Mm-hmm. So you have to spend a lot of time in Minnesota and Wisconsin and Canada and uh, travel back and forth gets really hard and really expensive. Uh, it's been really hard for Vicki. You know, she loves Alaska and loves her family and wants to be up here, but she wants to curl. So she's splitting her time back and forth. And I'm pretty sure that everybody at Alaska Airlines knows her by first name now.
0: I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, Holly, what about skiers? I think there are two Australians competing this year um, that train here in Anchorage. So is Anchorage really the best place for Nordic skiing?
3: <laughs> it's it's a great place. You know, Reese already mentioned that we have a lot of winter, <laughs> right? So, um, you know, we consistently have good training conditions and, you know, our World Cup athletes usually get some great early on snow time in October at Hatchers Pass. And then, if you are full time on a World Cup, you leave in November, and you generally don't come back to North America until March, and so you know you're um, ten hours away in terms of time zones, or you know, um, and and you're spending Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, in a hotel room. So, so it's a it's a long season, but yeah, it means uh, Jesse Yaten, um really, really has been. Uh, an incredible member of, of the APU Nordic ski team. And it's really cool watching her get to represent Australia. Um, and, you know, she, she's really added a lot to the, the depth of our team. And, you know, it's, it's fun to see her compete on the world stage as well. She's actually finishing her doctorate in physical therapy therapy right now, um, I believe, but, but she had a great skiathlon mm-hmm. uh, a couple of days ago. So, um, so that was cool. But yeah, I just wanted to, to mention that Nordic skiers are gone for four or five months uh, out of the year. And, you know, they're literally living out of a duffel bag. And so um, it's far away from from Anchorage, but they actually don't really get to come home during mm-hmm. during that time. So um, you know, I was actually just over in in Europe leading a cross country ski trip for Nordic enthusiasts, and I got home last night at about midnight and it took me thirty odd hours and three flights to get home. And so uh, i'm I'm pretty jet lagged right now, but that's also one of the reasons why our athletes don't come home because it's really far away.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just one more reason why I am so impressed with Keegan Messing right now. Uh, But, well, we are going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk more about the Olympics and also life after the Olympics. And uh, with my guests, Leland Rich, uh, Reese Hahnemann, and Holly Brooks. And, again, we want to hear from you. Do you have a favorite memory from a past Olympics? And whether it's Alaska-related or not, call us and share. The statewide number is 1-800-478-8255. In Anchorage, the local number is 550-8422, and you can email us, talk at alaskapublic.org.
1: Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station.
2: With Omicron spreading fast, many Alaskans will test positive for COVID-19. If this happens to you, what should you do? Head home and isolate as best as you can away from others. Let your close contacts know they may have been exposed so they can quarantine. Get plenty of rest and stay hydrated call your doctor. Treatments may be available, especially if you are at high risk for severe illness. If your symptoms worsen, seek medical help. This message sponsored by the Department of Health and Social Services. People who smoke or have smoking related conditions like lung and heart disease are more likely to get seriously ill from COVID-19. Not using any tobacco or e-cigarette products is one of the best ways to keep your immune system strong, ready to fight all kinds of viruses. If you decide to quit, help is available. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or text READY to 200-400 to get the support you need to quit for good. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line. Welcome back to Talk of
0: Alaska. I'm Adeline Baxter, and we are talking about Alaska's Winter Olympians. Uh, Today on the show with uh, Leland Rich from the Fairbanks Curling Club and former Olympic cross-country skiers Reese Hahnemann and Holly Brooks. So uh, real quick, I want to talk about life after the Olympics. Holly, as a retired Olympian who's still involved with the sport, what advice do you give to athletes who are considering their next
3: steps? Well, I will say it's a really hard transition for a lot of people. And, you know, for the reasons we mentioned the dedication that it takes uh, really requires people to sacrifice lots of other components of, of their life. Um, and so that transition out of professional sports can be um, pretty abrupt and, and you know, it, it's, a, it's a big change to your identity. Um, and so I think it's really cool now and that more and more athletes are able to kind of pursue an education, maybe part-time alongside, um, you know, their, their sport, And it's actually kind of cool. We've seen some athletes be able to kind of work part-time or at least pursue some creative projects along the way. Um, but it is really challenging when you dedicate the entirety of your life to being a professional athlete. And then at some point it's just over. And we see a lot of athletes go through you know, either this kind of post-Olympic depression or post-retirement depression, um, which, is, which is really, really tough. Um, you know, I often think about this quote that Michael Phelps uh, said in an interview, and he talked about not knowing how to live life outside of the water, right? And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that can be taken literally and figuratively as well. And so, you know, there's, there's definitely kind of some confusion with purpose and what's next. And, you know, the thing about being an athlete is it's very tangible. Your goals are very clear, you know, and, and there is some level of objectivity to it. And life after that is, is not always so clear. Right. And, um, you know, there can be a lot of kind of confusion and a lot of soul searching. And so, you know, it's a time when, Athletes really, really need a lot of support, and, you know, I will just say it's, uh, you know, one of the other hard things is you're going from being, you know, presumably the best in the world at what you do to maybe being a beginner, right, at whatever whatever you're doing now. Yeah. And I always tell athletes and, you know, share this with teammates and, you know, athletes and clients that there are tons of tangible um, and, you know, relatable skills and things that, you know, you really had as an athlete that you can use in your, your post-athletic life, right? If we think about these athletes, they are insanely driven, right? Their perseverance and their worth, work ethic, um, you know, is amazing. And so it's just all about trying to figure out how to transfer those skills into your kind of post-Olympic or post Sport life, And, you know, it, it can be challenging. But luckily, the USOPC and, you know, Olympic committees uh, worldwide are actually seeing that, you know, this is a huge area of need. And, um, you know, I think it's getting more attention, but it's still it's still not enough. Athletes need a lot of support um, through through their transition out of sport. And, you know, that, that support needs to be logistical, it needs to be emotional, it needs to be mental, it needs to be financial, um, you know, all of those things. Um, so it's a, it's a tough transition, that's for sure.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely. I want to go to the phones real quick. Uh, quick, We have Kurt calling from Anchorage. Hi, Kurt. You're on Talk of Alaska.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening. And, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to say uh, listening to a lot of the athletes that are being interviewed and that have participated, that one of um, uh, your employees, actually, Adam Ferrier, uh, had uh, participated in the Olympics, if I remember right. It was in Norway and uh, cross-country skiing, and he's been very active in the sport ever since. Um, I think uh, a little credit there, um, and uh, you might even want to interview Adam.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thanks for that suggestion, Kurt, and that uh, that uh, sharing that knowledge. I'm sure just about everybody in Alaska, maybe or at least in Anchorage, uh, knows a former Olympian because you know this is a tight knit community, especially the sports community. Well, I want to really quick um, get into a topic that is a controversial one, and I know has um, people have very you know hot opinions on this, but I think it's fun to talk about. And I know it was a topic of conversation in the 90s. So I want to put it to our guests, should Alaska host a Winter Olympics? Reese, let's start with you.
5: Oh, man, I think we totally could. Um, I think the structure of the modern Olympics has, uh, I mean, in my opinion, got a little bit out of control. So I think that we are absolutely capable of hosting it. Uh, you'd they would have the IOC, um, the international Olympic committee, who's in charge of putting on the Olympics, uh, you know, and it's their, that's their, that's their business. Um, they would have to probably change their requirements a little bit, um, step them down. But I think a lot of people are seeing, um, how, how insane the level has gotten, uh, that they require of hosts of the Olympic games. And so I think a lot of people would like to see it <clears throat> maybe come back down to earth a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think if that were the case, then, I think, you know, Anchorage is an incredible spot to, we could host all of those sports. Um, no problem. You know, I mean, are we going to, are we going to build a bullet train from Anchorage to Fairbanks for so that Leland can host the curling up there? I don't know. That's, uh, (laughs) that's something that China would do. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, I mean, there was obviously a big, a big effort, um, you know, a couple of decades ago and, uh, I don't know if we'll ever come back to to a reasonable level of Olympic infrastructure, um, right. because I don't know if we're up for spending the amount of money that China is spending. But um, I would hope so. I would hope we could someday.
0: Yeah, you hear about the you know the huge financial burden and in China, I think they were trucking in snow from all these other places, and it's it's a lot. But it's just fun to think about. Uh, Leland, what do you think about that?
4: Oh, I think it'd be great to pursue it. I agree with the way it is right now it's economically pretty hard to do that we aren't china uh but you know if you tried to do everything around the anchorage bowl uh it's possible that use a lot of the infrastructure that's already there and maybe we could do something you know uh be, uh, be a great boost for sports in alaska and, and uh, would help curling out a lot in alaska i know that mm-hmm.
0: and holly what about you
4: well, I'll just echo what's already been said.
3: You know, I think the, the current model uh, is unsustainable. I think, you know, the amount of, of money um, being poured into the games right now is, is nauseating. And I don't know that that was ever uh, the point, right, of, mm-hmm. of Olympic sport. And so, you know, there's there's lots of talk about what, what to do next. Um, you know, if we look at the last You know a couple of of hosts um you know it's been countries that uh let's just say have a lot of power right over over what happens and you know um i i really hope that uh democracies over uh, throughout the world are are able to you know put in good bids and follow through with their bids and not feel like they need to retract their bids due to politics and um, you know, these these unsustainable expectations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I know uh, the next Winter Olympics is in Italy, and, you know, I, I really hope that we can be- get back to fans cheering on the course, and, you know, hopefully it will be post-pandemic. And, um, you know, I was actually just in Val de Fiamme, which is uh, the the ho- one of the areas where where the games will be hosted and you know they already have some of that infrastructure from hosting little championships and and things like that so mm-hmm. right um hard to hard to say about about anchorage but you know it's a topic that people love to bring up often <laughs>
0: right well in the last few minutes i just i want to hear from each of you what events uh, or one event i guess we is all we have time for you're going to be tuning in for in the next few weeks but um, real quick I want to share an email from Wes in Juneau he says so much negative press about these Olympics has made it difficult to get excited but hearing from these former Olympians has really charged his fandom once again so he says thank you Um, and so uh, Holly starting with you what are what is one event that you're going to be tuning in for
3: well, I'm going to cheat and say two. <laughs> I mean, I'm really excited to watch all of the remaining cross-country events, but people should definitely have their, their eyes on the two-team events. Um, and so that's the team sprints. Uh, which is going to be a classic team sprint, and then also the 4x5 and the 4x10K relays. Um, so especially the, the U.S. women have been knocking on the door for a long time in that 4x5 event. And, you know, I think that something really, really amazing could happen. You know, these individual medals are incredible but there's definitely something special to be said when, you know, there's this opportunity to share a podium with your teammates. Mm-hmm. And cross-country skiing, it's an individual sport with a team component. And, you know, I think um, our, our skiers are, are ready to just put it all out there and, and try to bring some more hardware home. And they have, they have great odds. Yeah.
0: Well, and uh, Leland, what about you? What's, who's the big contender with curling?
4: Obviously I'm going to be watching the men's team, John Schuster, the reigning Olympic gold medalist and see how they can do, uh, trying to defend their title with, uh, Colin from Turbanks on the team.
0: All right. And, and Reese really quick.
5: I think the Olympics, um, are what people love about it is that you get so excited about these sports that, you know, maybe you, you don't have time to care about for the other four years. So, Um, I am going to, I mean, obviously the cross-country skiing events are close to my heart. Um, so I'm going to be watching all those. And then, um, you know, every four years I get really into figure skating.
0: Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there. That's it for today's show. You can find more Olympics coverage at alaskapublic.org. And if you don't have cable or a subscription to NBC, you can also look out for local public viewing parties in your area. Thanks again to Leland Rich, Reese Hanneman, and Holly Brooks for joining me. Thanks also to audio engineer Tobin Shelby, Annie Fight for producing help, and Kavitha George on the phones. I'm Adeline Baxter. Thanks for listening.
1: Talk of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.